Hello and welcome to the Sekiro Podcast. My name is Park Kelly and as always I'm joined by Ushin Collins. Hey Park, good to be back. How are you getting on? Really good. Great weekend of rugby once again. Yeah, you're in front of the telly for it this time after having your genius moment of forgetting to buy flights to Manchester. Yeah, like 60 to 200 is a bit of a leap. Bit of a leap in terms of the cost. But you know what? At least you got to see everything, which is nice. Yeah, round two was incredible and we'll talk about that in a second. But first, the news. Yeah, and a really interesting bit of news, our women's sevens team is going to be pro, which is nice. There's an announcement this week that there's going to be, I think it was 30 contracts are going to be handed out. Yeah, between developmental and full-time. Yeah, and a good outcome for them as well in their first uh, tour event of the HSBC sevens, uh, losing out to the final against Australia for the fifth and sixth place playoff. So finishing in sixth place overall for that event. Yeah, and in all fairness, getting being by the Australia team is nothing to be ashamed about. They are incredible. No, they're a serious outfit, and you, you saw the way they dispatched England in the semi-final. We were, you know, we were a little bit worried about that from the point that we saw that game. Exactly. But uh, yeah, finished in sixth place, moving to professional, onwards and upwards. Yeah, and with all eyes on the Olympics. Also in the news this week, there seems to be a little bit of um, some sort of mewling sound coming out of the uh, the Leinster camp. Assistant head coach Leo Cullen seems to be whining about his players <laughs> getting tapped up. Yeah, Nick McCarthy has announced he's signed for Munster next season. And I would genuinely feel more sorry for him if it wasn't for like the Connacht history of starting players Going to Leinster after getting the... Mike bit. McCarthy, Robbie Henshaw... Cronin, Mick Carney. Yeah. It's so hard to feel sorry for them. Yes, second string players are going to leave because there you have that much talent they can't all play. Yeah, and it's a bit strange when Leo's saying that players are getting phone calls from people down the road in Munster making unrealistic promises. Like, I just think that's a little bit conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat stuff, and Leinster really ought not to be lowering themselves to that. And even though that was a very much throwaway comment by Cullen, I think his focus might not have been fully on the match at the weekend. Yeah, and the result very much wasn't what he would have wanted. So talking about Pool 1 first, Leinster travelled down to Toulouse and got beaten 28 points to 27. Really good game. Like, really, really good game to watch. That was, as they say, a game for the neutrals. Yeah, and it kind of swung back and forth. You weren't actually sure who was going to win this right up until the final whistle. And both of these teams went hammer and tongs. Toulouse really took advantage of some average Leinster play like finally that slow start caught up with them yeah um and not their not their first choice backline like Joe Tamani just doesn't look up to it at this level to be totally honest uh Jordan Larmore had a poor game and I thought Henshaw and Ringrose and Lowe were quite well managed by the Toulouse defense like they just didn't get as much space as they had I mean they couldn't possibly have had as much space as in the previous week's game <laughs> but yeah and you know what Leinster you just can't go 14-0 down in a competition of this quality no but the thing is they never worry they just go through the gears they grind away they get the points and you know they were there there about at half time they they really came back into the game yeah and then two nice second half tries and they're 27 points to 21 up yeah and the problem is that narrow lead was never going to be enough and they started forcing, looking for a try bonus point, And that led to that intercept try that just sealed their fate. Yeah, I mean, that Toulouse team were so dangerous on the break. Their outside centre has like just an incredible step. And Cheslin Kobe on the wing is rapid, as you like, as well. But you know what the difference was? Toulouse's bench came on, and they really lifted the level of the performance for their team and ground out the win. Toulouse seemed to be a really homer team this year. They're, like, they're typically French. Like Toulouse, Their home stadium is becoming... A fortress for them and that and it proved it today like the atmosphere there was incredible yeah and tell you what though Leinster still could have win that game 
But then two minutes left on the clock and Johnny Sexton kicks up a Gary Owen. So the one thing I would say you don't ever do is give the ball away in that scenario. And there you go. Toulouse just carries one out carries and ground the clock down. They did an old school Toulouse on it. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you what, though, from a Leinster perspective, their line out this week was excellent. I mean, there was a couple of dodgy throws last week. Cronin really tightened up, but everything was just working like clockwork. And they carried really, really well. And given how they were carrying that decision to Gary Owen, it was shocking. Yeah. I mean, the real thing, though, what this is pointed out, something that we've been talking about since the start of the season, Leinster haven't been coming out of the blocks fast in these games. And they finally come up against the team who were capable of dominating them physically. And there you go. That's what happened. And their breakdown was a mess. Vanderflyer proved when he went off of how vital he is to how Leinster play. Like Sean O'Brien is a phenomenal replacement to come on, but he's a very different style of open side. And the breakdown was a bit of a mess. And as you said, the back three didn't have a good day at the office. No, Larmore was atypically poor and Tamani was typically poor. Um, I all they seem to have done is got a very hairy Adam Byrne there, <laughs> and on a like on a on a more broader Ireland picture, the the Byrne for Ireland camp kind of go like, look, Leinster are in trouble here. Mm. Byrne was never getting on the pitch. If he's not playing in big games like this, why is he in a green jersey? I think that's a, a bigger picture that needs that will need to be talked about for his fans and for the plot that's out there for him. Yeah, and talking bigger picture, this isn't the biggest issue. I mean, you still got a losing bonus point away. And in the other game in this pool, Wasps and Bath played out a super rugby-style 35-all draw. So, you know what? Not the worst outcome. And Leinster now have Bath back-to-back in the December games. Yeah, the return fixture of this match is really going to decide the pool winner. And given that that's going to be in Dublin, you'd have to put the money on Leinster. Definitely. Okay, moving on to Pool 2, Munster v Gloucester, and uh, that was a nice day out. 36-22 win, you must have been a very happy camper in Thomond. Yeah, try bonus points secured in a pretty business-like fashion, to be honest. Which was never really in doubt once Cipriani got rightly red-carded. Correct, and you know what, for me, this is, like, Cipriani was very classy about it, went straight off, kind of made sure he apologised to Scannell, but it's a coaching point. Like, there were four cardable hits in the first half hour of that game. Like, that's a coaching issue. It's just not good enough. You can make the argument that this directive about high hits coming in midway to the season, or partway into the season, is affecting it, but... Some of these hits weren't legal before the directive. No, well, don't forget, the directives that come down from World Rugby don't change the laws. It's merely an indication to referees that they need to be penalising it more effectively or using cards. It's a clarification. Anything that was still illegal is illegal now. It was illegal last week. And you've never been allowed to smash a guy in the face with your shoulder. I mean, literally never. So... Whatever Billy Twelve Trees was thinking just after Danny Cipriani got carded going in high on Carberry, like it was just lunatic stuff. And just before we finish, not the only game this weekend with that kind of nonsense happening. No. The other fixture in this pool had cast down to fourteen for an even worse high tackle. Yeah, that no, was just it's just silly, silly stuff, and we'll draw a line underneath it. For me, watching on telly, Munster were actually kind of poor in the first half. Like, you're very disjointed in the attack. For me, that came from Williams's pass pouring. They're just all over the shop. High, low, you're reaching too much. And your offensive rook work was actually kind of poor. You built up into the game, but I wasn't impressed. No, and it's one of these ones. Is this a, a good team playing below par and getting the job done? Or is it you know, a performance that we should be worried about. And for me, I'm still undecided on the two. 
Like, don't get me wrong. Anytime you run up a couple of tries against a decent English side would have been fine. And had the game ended on 75 minutes, I would have been very happy. But as it was, we ended with 13 men and having conceded something like 12 points in the last five minutes of the game, which was really concerning. And again, if we're in a bit of a dogfight or an arm wrestle when it gets down to those last few minutes, does this team have the concentration and the focus to put somebody away? Yeah, and that concentration is a real problem for Munster. You know, was that a 20-minute thing? Or if Munster are in a position where they are in a dogfight across 80, will they be giving away those penalties constantly? Will Munster be able to control themselves under sustained pressure? I'm not sure. Like The, the discipline was a real problem. Whatever about Sam Arnold, who just got his timing a little bit wrong, the Stephen Archer one was incredibly stupid. But there are consistent penalties up to that point, just constant penalties in your 22. You're going to be carded the next penalty no matter what. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, the bigger concern for me coming out of this game is actually the number of injuries. Like, Tommy O'Donnell went off with what looked like a horrific leg break. Yeah, and he's a player that doesn't deserve to be on the sidelines, like, after his horrific injuries in the past. Yeah, if he didn't have bad luck, he'd have no luck at all. Um, Rory Scannell went off injured as well, I think. And it just, it's, we've already shipped a couple of injuries to key players, and that squad is starting to look a little bit thin, apart from at halfback. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't it but that's been an issue for Munster without the first string team you are in trouble yeah however speaking of that first string team our loose forward play was excellent in terms of not necessarily some of the set piece stuff which was a little bit ropey but Byrne is a monster over the ball O'Mahony and Stander from about the 20 minute mark were dominating the breakdown I really do think every team that are facing Munster needs to just put someone in a blue scrum cap. But the thing is, and it's incredible to watch, right? A he lot picks of players, his moments. He does, but he also goes for the ball. He doesn't care about the referee. He's not trying to win a penalty. He is stealing the ball from you regardless. And there was one other rip. I think Arno Botha just took the ball from the guy at pace, upright. I, we're just starting to look like a team who are lending other teams the ball. <laughs> and then we will take it back when we damn well please. Yeah, and Joey is kind of growing into playing 10 more as a 10. Like, he's showing the qualities of a 10 more than not a 15 now. Well, he's been given the keys to the Ferrari and told, you know, all right, kid, you're the star man. Go play like it. Which I like as an approach. Ferrari. Ferrari? You can't call Monster Ferrari. It's red, isn't it? <laughs> not as good. But there was a couple of other good individual performances. Darren Sweetham continuing the great form he had in pre-season. And nice to see Mike Haley step up as well, getting a try in his home European debut. Yeah, definitely. And if you look at the pool overall, that was a really incredible result for Munster. Cass beating Exeter at home, 29-25. Yeah, and that was despite Exeter having a 14-0 lead and then being a man up from 35 minutes on. Like They really blew an opportunity there because had they won that, they would have at least been there thereabouts. But now they're bottom of the pool. Yeah, and the pool is wide open. But given the fact that Munster and Cast have the back-to-backs, this pool could be done and dusted by Christmas. Which will be great. And Gloucester and Exeter can knock lumps out of each other and then we'll pick up the remains on the other side of the new year. If they have interest, given how the Premiership form is going. Very true. And they have their new Premiership Cup to deal with as well. Yeah. Nonsense competition. <laughs> uh, moving on to Pool 3 and the All-Pro 14 derby. Cardiff hosting Glasgow and... Glasgow pretty comfortably winning this one, 29 points to 12. Yeah, and a horror start for Cardiff. You know, the first try they gave away was so soft. Yeah, and inside two minutes. And then 
the second try it just looked like they didn't expect the back rower from Glasgow to offload the ball and Van der Merwe just shot down the wing. How can you not expect the Glasgow back rower to offload? Yeah. Oh, like it was just really poor reactions and a slow reset in the defensive line, but five minutes in and you're twelve nil down. But the game tightened up at after that, you know, Cardiff got into it, but as all as it's been a kind of an issue across the season, that last pass is missing. Yeah, and you think they're forcing it a bit, but there was some real duh moments. Like, they passed the ball forward with the line at their mercy. Somebody tried to get Nick Williams to pick the ball off his bootlaces. Like, I don't think he can bend at the waist, let alone be able to pick the ball up down there. No, give him the ball properly so he can smash people. Good. And he's really good at that. Ugh. But you know what? It, it was a little bit scrappier after half time. And when the game does break up, there are opportunities for Cardiff. They started to look a lot better in broken play. And their first try was brilliant. Jared Evans, like, come on. Like, it was just one of those moments where you could tell whatever the original play was went out the window. He just saw space and executed a slightly weird-looking kick in behind. But then Summerhill just picks it, and there you go. Dots down for the try. But Glasgow, they got the bonus point. Yeah, the fourth try was a beauty. Like, Hastings gets the ball basically behind his own line, beats two players, and then again, Van der Merwe off down the line. And a couple of offloads later... Quick rock ball, which is then so vital for those type of tries. Exactly. Dinks this beautiful little grubber through, and Fagerson offloads to Gray under the posts. Go second rows. Love second rows. And I guess, you know, consolation try for Cardiff, but it was game over here really after 10 minutes. But, you know, overall, Cardiff, their back row was good, but they do need a Vidi on the pitch. They just look so much more balanced. Like, Ollie Robinson is a good player, Jenkins is a good player, Williams is a good player, but Navidi just helps them to manage their back row an awful lot more effectively. Um, Glasgow, on the other hand, some lovely handling, great running, and, like, Hastings just looks so composed at 10. But when he's got players the likes of Hugh Jones and DTH Vandermeer to release, it's just excellent. But Glasgow are guilty of just being a bit too casual at times. Yeah, and maybe trying stuff that isn't quite on. So not necessarily forcing it the same way that Cardiff do, but just throwing like 20-80 passes instead of 50-50 ones, if you know what I mean. Yeah, Um, whereas Cardiff, on the other hand, just throw passes they shouldn't throw and in the wrong direction. I think a lot of the time Cardiff throw passes they should throw. And they should catch. You know, <laughs> they just seem to, to lose their heads right at that moment. They just need to be a little more composed and a lot more patient. And in a pool that Saracen seemed to be running away with. Yeah, wrapping up another bonus point win. So there is a potential for one of these teams to qualify second out of this. Well, someone needs to cop on quick. Yeah, quite quickly, please. On Friday, in pool four, Leicester hosted Scarlets. Yeah, and that's not really going to be one that the Scarlets will look back fondly upon. Losing that one 45 points to 27. After basically being on even par with Leicester the whole way through the game. Yeah, but Leicester bullied Scarlets. Yeah. Like, hard, direct, running, but mixed with Tulangis. Just how he takes lines and his power just destroyed them. They had no answer for it. Well, him and Eastman seem to be building a really good understanding. And then when you've got Johnny May outside that, who is just dangerous from anywhere on the pitch, and George Ford with looking like he's got a degree of confidence back, playing so well in the middle of the field, they are dangerous from everywhere. I would also like to state, this whole thing of Welsh rugby thinking, the English like us, we can have a league with them. This was the best Welsh team. Yep. Visiting Leicester. Yep. I could see empty seats. Lots of them. Yeah. Like, 
this has to put the pin in this balloon of an idea they have. Well, I think that's just where I was trying to trying to argue unconvincingly for a little bit more of a, of a stake in the Pro 14. Because, you know, it's a, well, I'll just go over there. They like us. Yeah, no. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. Scarlet started so slowly, 10-0 down after effectively 10, 20 minutes. You know, it's just not good enough. The lineouts in general report, they just didn't play well, yet they always seemed in the match in a weird way. They've got a couple, like Gareth Davies is, does that for you because he can create something out of nothing and he was a spark of light within this Scarlet's team when they just didn't have anybody outside him to settle the game down. Yeah, and Steph Evans, who started, who's back in the good books out of, for some reason, I couldn't find him for 50 minutes. I was what thinking to myself, where's Steph Evans? But, he pops up with a try. Yeah, and the problem is, when you have Patchell on that pitch, he's much better able to unleash these guys consistently. You're kind of relying on Steph Evans to create a moment of magic for himself, rather than to have it put on a plate for him. And I tell you, I was disappointed. Jonathan Davies, for me, is someone who has to step up in those type of games. Just wasn't as strong as you'd want him to be. No, Scarsley always looked in contention, but when Leicester put the pressure on, the pack got bullied. They couldn't handle the physicality, and... We said this before, and Lester jumped on it. <laughs> Stupid Lester listening to her podcast. <laughs> um, what was really concerning for me was just how poor they looked at the breakdown. You can tell that they haven't adjusted to the loss of Tyburn yet, and when you're missing James Davies as well, they never really stood a chance. No. And speaking of teams that we thought wouldn't stand a chance. Yeah, Ulster did not have a fun visit to Paris. No. A 44-12 loss to Rassing. For me, though, that scoreline flattered Rassing a small bit. Well, maybe, but they just seemed to be able to score tries whenever they wanted. And that was mostly a function of how poor Ulster's defence was. Yeah, the second the line was broken, it kind of just felt, oh, this is going to, they're going to score a try now. It was just always that feeling. There was one moment late in the game where Finn Russell chipped through and... Imagine being the defending fullback. You've got Finn Russell coming at you. To his left, Simon Zebo. To his right, Teddy Thomas. How, how do you even deal with that situation? While Racing do have so much potential to attack and score, Ulster did start well. They did, and like Billy Byrne seemed to be having a good game. But that phase of play that leading to the Stockdale try with two crossfield kicks, just like left to right, right to left, that was nice stuff. The cheek. Oh. The, the Alface cheek of that. The neck. <laughs> But the problem is, Ulster didn't get Stockdale one-on-one with Teddy Thomas enough. Like, that's Te- guaranteed tries. Teddy Thomas defends like the most disinterested drunk you've ever seen. <laughs> he He's often in the wrong place. Always looking the wrong way and almost always out of position. It is astonishing that he can be so good attacking and so bad, so chronically bad defending. Like, how is this guy an international? Because he just scores tries. Like, he does. He will score tries. He will create tries. He is a shambles. Joe Schmidt wouldn't have him near a ditch. Nope. ditch. <laughs> he would be sacked immediately. Is that why himself and Zeebo get on so well? Oi, easy. <laughs> <laughs> but look, as much as Ulster did start, start well, as you said, this was the Finn Russell show. Yeah, and he's been having a brilliant start to the season, but they were just so clinical and ruthless. They were out breaknecks and like damaged spirits here. This had to be a big win. I'd love to see the stats on their conversion rate because they seem to just 
score tries on line breaks. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the number of visits they had to the 22 or when they got line breaks, they were maximizing their opportunities. But you know what? Ulster's pack should have been able to shut them down. There was so much loose ball and so many poor handling errors that Ulster just weren't ever going to be in this game. They just weren't competitive. No. And, like, this is an overall weaknesses thing from this match. There was no scrum. There was no line-out. And there was no scramble defence. That's the third or fourth game in a row where Ulster's line-out hasn't functioned. At what point do we start worrying that our current captain is their starting hooker? At a national level. After the first game, he plays in green. Mm, okay, fair enough. But I guess some of the players did show up. Like Michael Lowry, the young fullback, had a decent game. Shanahan looked relatively good. His passing is nice and crisp. Yep. Cooney's a better scrum half. That's fair enough. <laughs> but it's a great to have an able deputy like that. Um, and Will Addison looks like he's been playing in that Ulster backline for the last 10 years. And Kutsier just does Kutsier things all the time. Uh, himself, and other than the yellow card for Timoney, there was some nice work from that Ulster back row. They just weren't able to get a handle on the game overall. No. And that takes us to the final pool. Edinburgh hosted Toulon. Yeah, in a mostly empty Murrayfields. Like, those guys have got to get a proper stadium. Thank Christ it's being built. Yeah, for sure. Um, either way though 40 points to 14 no one's going to be complaining about how many seats there were the win was never in doubt after the first five minutes as well, I was watching it I think the win was never in doubt after how bad Toulon were last week like this Toulon side is an embarrassment to the multiple Heineken Cup winning team of a four true but Edinburgh had the game plan they knew what to do and they did it perfectly we've been talked about Edinburgh before needing to know when to go wide when to kick when to use the pack, they made the right decisions today. Yeah, I think van der Waal, having been dropped to the bench for a couple of games, has really galvanised him. He's come back and his decision-making has improved, his overall gameplay has improved. He was really strong in this game. Yeah, but across the board, Edinburgh's decision-making was impeccable. That first try of just being in a ruck, seeing the line in the ruck and just going, try please, yeah. it was just so smart. Well, the other thing was, there was a bit of variety. They were able to change the point of contact. They were able to move the ball left and right. There was cutbacks. And you know what? They were just playing so much more effectively and so much more clinically than we've seen them do in previous weeks. But for me, still, against what? True. Edinburgh were defensively very good, but apart from some individual breaks, Toulon had nothing going forward. No. You know, Bastro might be a dirtbag, but he is a liability at the breakdown. He is well able to get over the ball and you try moving it. And yes, and it was his influence that kind of stopped and they were really running around. They could have got more tries in the last couple of minutes. He is someone who pulls them together as a captain. And I think Edinburgh didn't really keep the intensity level all the way to the end. I mean, they didn't need to, so it was fine. Also, losing Bradbury didn't help. No, and he is such a big force for them. But their back row was immense. Yeah, I mean, Bill Mather was outstanding again. Just top quality player. And their halfbacks really gelled well. Like, Pergos was getting to the breakdown really quickly and snapping the ball out there. And against that Toulon team of how bad they're playing, that's what they needed. Yeah, you just had to take advantage. And you know what? It's a funny old pool, pool five. Newcastle, in the last play of the game, nine minutes into injury time, get a try to beat Montpellier 23 points to 20. A Montpellier with Cruden, with Pienaar. This wasn't a bad Montpellier team. No, these guys were fully loaded. And that's two wins in a trot for Newcastle. 
pretty impressive stuff. Shame they can't do anything in the Premiership with their rooted bottom two. Yeah, they obviously prioritise <laughs> They can get relegated. Oh, damn, I forgot about that. <laughs> um, moving to the one game we do want to talk about in the Challenge Cup, uh, Sale v Connacht. And this did not go as expected. Uh, 34 points to 13. No, and a caveat, this game was watched through an incredible, incredible Connacht clan member who um, streamed the match on his phone. You are a hero, sir. Not all heroes wear capes, he just wears a green suit. <laughs> nice. Um, you know what, it was actually a decent game at halftime, so I had a look at the match report. 13-0, that was okay. Yeah, it was really good. But Connacht played like a team that had 10 changes from last week, and that 20 minutes in the second half really showed it. Yeah, well, you look at that team. No Bundy, no Marmion, no Quinn Rue, and no Butler. No captain. Like, what did you expect? Yeah, Caelan Blade, captain, actually showed up well. Mm. But, you know, you're going through the leaders of the team. Butler, Bundy, Heffernan, McCartney is on the bench. None of them on the pitch. You know. That's a problem. And, you know, Sale aren't that much of a walkover side that... You know, I think either Connacht targeted this game and said, we don't need this one, or it was a little bit disrespectful. Ospreys away next Friday. That's the big one? It's got to be. Yeah, fair enough. Um, you know what, though? Great to see Chris Ashton back out scoring tries in European games. I know he's an obnoxious toad, but he's a beautiful rugby player. Yeah, and a hat-trick for him. I hate him. A hat-trick <laughs> for him. You know, we got an ash splash, but like, all the tries can't concede it were just really, really soft. Not being a way to tap and goes. A running scrum on five metres after Tina O'Halloran knocked the ball on in his own end goal area. Yeah, and you know what? You kind of got away with it a little bit because Bordeaux and Perpignan played out a 25-all draw. This could have been a lot worse. As it is, it puts Sale in pole position to get out of this pool, but Connacht aren't dead and buried. No, this could be one of the pools that two teams get out of. Yeah, absolutely. Running quickly through the other results in the Challenge Cup, uh, Dragons got beaten by Northampton. Shocked. 21 points. Shocked, I tell you. Shocked. <laughs> 21 points to 35. Normal service resumed. And Claremont O'Vern and against the Timmy Swahar Saracens. 70 points to 12. Shocked. Actually, no, I've done that joke before. But still shocked. I'm still as shocked. Yeah. Ouch. In pool two, Poe beat Stad Francais 21 to 15. Home team wins. And Worcester beat Ospreys 27 to 21. Good team wins. <laughs> <laughs> and in pool four, where there was a reverse of last week's fixtures, Lash Rochelle, once again, beat NSA by 64 points 26 this time. Yeah, the other result in this pool was reversed. Zebra picking up the win against Bristol Bears at home, 20 points to 17. That won't go down well in Bristol. No, but you know what? It's a great result for that pool. It keeps it nice and live. La Rochelle are going to cruise to the top of it. Zebra and Bristol, one scalp each. Pool 5 then, and Agen beat Benetton at home, so 20 points to 19. The Italians will be furious with that. And then Grenoble, in an equally surprising result, beat Harlequins, 19 points to 13. French home team wins, yeah, sure. Yeah, but you would expect, I expected Benetton and Harlequins to have a better outcome from that. And I suppose, given that I expected it, that's probably why they both lost. I know. I actually said Leinster would win this weekend. Look what happened. There you go. I didn't say it, though. Yeah, it was me. It was me. I'll take the blame. Excellent. And just a quick word about the pools thus far in the Champions Cup. Saris, Racing, Toulouse and Newcastle, the only teams with two wins from two. And then at the bottom of their respective pools, Leon, Scarlets and Toulon with two losses out of two. Yeah, like, it's too early to talk, you know, permutations. But 
you can kind of see a picture forming in the pools. Yeah, and I think of those teams, Scarlets will be the most annoyed about that. Definitely. Like, after last season, you'd think they'd be one to push on, and they've just capitulated. Yeah. You know what? That does bring us to our second row top performer and clown of the round. So, Porg, you've gone for our top performer? Yeah, I... I wanted to pick Mata, but the second I saw him get man the match, I'm like, he's got awards. He doesn't need ours. <laughs> so I've actually gone for Pyrgos. I just think he had an incredible game for Edinburgh. Just kept them on the front foot and kept them moving. Took his try incredibly well, especially after the line buff preceded it. No, he had a really good game and he got so many touches on the ball as a scrum half that if you are on form, it flows to the whole back line. And I think given the momentous nature of that result for Edinburgh, it was good that it came from that game. Definitely. And you have picked our second row clown of the round. Yeah, and so being down in Thomond, I was going to pick Danny Cipriani, but when I watched the replays, he was just so gracious about being sent off that I thought it was unfair. And it gave me a nice idea about who wasn't very gracious this weekend. <laughs> and when you're already hammering a team, you really don't need to rub it almost literally in their face. So Simon Zebo for his try-scoring antics when going over the line, pointing and laughing at a 21-year-old. I think that's exactly the type of behaviour that Clown of the Round is reserved for. Like, one after last week, why? Why would you tempt fate? After Freddie Burns. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And two, given the ref, Nigel Owens, who could have easily given a penalty for like against and reversed a try for just being unrugby like Yes, not in the spirit of rugbiness. And he does give those penalties. He does. But you know what? To be fair to Zebo, number one, when you were watching it at the time, it was kind of funny, but it was also extremely classless. And he has apologised since, uh, and he apologised on the night when he was told to. Fine, <laughs> fine. Either way, this it's moments like this that we invented the Clown of the Round award for. So, Simon Zebo, take it home, son. And that brings us on to next week and the return of the Pro 14. We're back, baby. Mm-mm-mm. And Kings and Scarlets kick off our Friday night's action. Yeah, and it's a really heavily loaded Friday night. So Kings and Scarlets down in South Africa. Tough for Scarlets to have to make that trip now after the loss. Um, and you've also got Zebra hosting Edinburgh and Ulster hosting Dragons. So at least they've got an easy game. And then probably the pick of those Friday night fixtures, Ospreys host Connacht. Which is going to be the first leg of Conference A's like third, fourth position deciders. Yeah, that in-conference game is going to be massive. Um, we then move on to Saturday, where again, we've got a bumper lineup. Benetton play host to Leinster, and particularly after their Challenge Cup loss, Benetton will be smarting. And Leinster will be wanting a big bounce back. Absolutely. You then have, for me, what is probably the fixture of the weekend, Munster v Glasgow. That is a no-holds-barred knockout fixture. Because, you know, Munster and Glasgow love each other. They love each other so <laughs> much. I mean, there's, there's been a bit of niggle in those games in the past. It'll actually be really interesting to see if both sides pick fully loaded teams. You'd like to hope they will, but there's a lot of rugby to be played yet this season and a lot of very busted people on both sides. Yeah, and don't forget, the Irish rules will start coming in now and will all the Irish provinces have their first string players? Possibly not. I mean, player management is important and... This is where you start to see the trade-off for where we get our well-rested players at international time. And where we see our second string pushing the first string. Absolutely. But look, to finish off Saturday though, Cheetahs host Cardiff. And yeah, another long trip for Cardiff down to Blumfontein. Tough week to have to make that trip. Yeah, after losses, you do not want to be going to South Africa. No, and a Cheetahs team who have had 
two weeks of a rest, basically, will be licking their lips at that one. Yeah, and that's us for this week. I'm really looking forward to get back watching Pro 14 and talking about Pro 14 rugby again. Absolutely. And you know what? You can get us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, SoundCloud, Acast, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. If it's a podcast app, we're on it. We're everywhere, people. Everywhere. <laughs> so please do rate it, like it, subscribe it to get it on your device as soon as possible. And we really like it when this podcast gets interactive and you help us pick clowns at arounds and players at around. So get in touch with us and follow us on Instagram and Twitter where we're at the second row and we're on Facebook.com forward slash the second row. That is two N D, not the word second. So until next time, goodbye and take care. Thanks for listening. Thanks everyone. Bye bye. <laughs>